My goodness, church. I feel wobbly right now. I didn't walk in here wobbly. I feel wobbly right now. The kindness of God that He won us to a singing faith. Amen? That we get to sing our faith to one another. Well, we also get to think deep thoughts together. Amen? So Psalm 119. Here we go. Psalm 119. As you turn there, I want you to consider where we are. Uh, Pastor Darren's been walking us through a sermon series called Fruition. It's about the fruit of the Spirit's coming to fruition in our lives. And where we have walked through in Genesis 5 is that the fruits of the Spirit there should be coming up. I'll just read it to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love. We talked about love. We talked about joy, peace, patience. And now we talk about two today. Kindness and goodness. They're so linked together deeply within them that we've, we've lumped them together. And I want you to think of this as a root to fruit kind of action here. Something gets rooted in the ground, and if its roots are to produce fruit, that's what it does. And we have been rooted by the Holy Spirit to produce certain fruit. And it is these that we're looking at, but today, specifically, we see a root and fruit transaction that happens between goodness and kindness that I'm really excited to look at together. And we're going to look at this from Psalm 119. So if you have your copy of God's Word, stand with me as we look at Psalm 119. We're going to start in verse 65. Praise the Lord, we're not going to read the whole chapter. We would, we would go to dinner together. All right, Psalm 119, verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. What a testimony by the psalmist. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Hear this, church. You, God, you are good. And you do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies. But with my whole heart, I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat. But I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted. That I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let's pray together that that would be true for us. Father, as we come this morning, our minds are so riddled with sin that it is hard for us to think the deep thoughts that You're about to call us to think. My mind is so riddled with sin. Would You rejuvenate our minds this morning? Would You give us an energy to think deeply about who You are? To think deeply about what that means for us. To not be shallow followers, shallow disciples. But that I would teach and that we would learn in such a way that we would observe all that You have commanded us. 
including to model our lives after who you are and to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. God, we can't do any of this. I can't do this. We can't do this. We can't hear. We can't understand. We can't know without your Spirit engaging us right now, God. That in our inner man, that our heart is opened, our mind understands, our ears hear. It has to be something done by you. So God, I know people are in here in different places in their lives. That there are people in here who they've never really lived out their faith. God, would you capture them this morning? Would they taste and see? For those who come in, God, and they're just afflicted as the psalmist was. And they're suffering and they're hurting. Would they taste and see, God? I pray for every heart in this room. I pray for my own heart. We need you. We need you to give us a deeper understanding of goodness and kindness than the world gives us. Help us to see that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so as you're seated, I want you to do something with me. We're just going to have a little bit of an interactive session uh, at the beginning of this sermon. I want you to take out a piece of paper or I want you to take out your phone. Okay, everybody do that now. Take out a piece of paper, take out your phone. Uh, your phone's probably better, right? So do it, even if you're thinking you're too cool for this. I promise you there's a purpose to this. Wives, I know your cool husbands. They're not taking out a piece of paper or a phone right now. Nudge them. Ask them why they hate Jesus, okay? All right, piece of paper. That was just a joke, man. I love you still, right? Okay, piece of paper, phone. Here's what I, I want you to answer a question. I want you to give me a definition of something. I want you to give me a definition of good. Just write it down for yourself. We're not going to collect these on the way out. Monty might ask, but just tell him no. Okay? I want you to write down your definition. How would you define the word good? And you can't use the opposite of bad. Right? You have to give me a real definition of good. It's kind of hard, isn't it? You know, good's one of those things that we, we say all the time. We teach our kids, good, be good, do the right thing, do good. But when we actually think about, like, what is good? Like, we know it until we have to define it, which, for me, makes me concerned because then do we really know it? Right, so, so what is good? E even further... What does it mean for something to be good? Right, we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit this morning, and the Spirit inspires Paul to tell us that if we're a Christian, if the Spirit of God has awakened our inner person, then out of that inner person will flow good. So what is it that is supposed to flow out of us? What is good. Okay, so good, generally defined, I looked in a whole lot of places and kind of brought together and glued together a definition of good that just is general and quick. It's something that is desired or to be approved of. It's something that's to be desired or approved of. So, so think about that, Christian. Galatians 5, 22. If you're a Christian, if the Spirit of God has worked in your heart, then out of you 
should be flowing something desirable and something worthy of approval. So here is the million-dollar question. Whose approval? And now you're catching up. But whose approval? Whose approval of what's good? Whose approval of what's worthy? Whose approval of what's desirous? Look again at verse 68. You are good. And you do good. All right, that's spoken of God. So we put that right here. And then I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Mark 10. Right? He gets into a conversation with, with a rich young ruler about who's good and who's not. And do you remember what Jesus says? No one is good except God alone. Who's worthy of approval? Who's desirable? Jesus says, no one. Okay, so like, just taking a step back and know that like, I'm in this with you. We recognize that, right? The fruit of the Spirit of goodness and kindness hangs in the balance on do we recognize that we are not good people? Jesus says, no one is good except God. The psalmist says, you are good and you do good. So what is the standard of good in the universe? It is the character of God. Think about that with me. What does the psalmist say? You are good. His actions, right, doing good, flow out of his being. Right? So what he does is good because he is good. If you're here this morning and you're one of the ones that I pray for that you're, you're suffering and you're afflicted and you're hurting, they need, you need to hear that. Things that we can't explain. Things that God didn't initiate in your life. But He is still good. Everything that He does is good. And even the things that He does not do, but allows in this world because of Satan or sin, Romans 8.28 tells us that He still works those things for good. God is good. What He does is good. And no one else is good. Now, that statement, what, what we have to do right now is we have to draw a line in the sand, Christian. Because that statement will start a war out in our society. And you have to ask yourself, what do you believe to be good? Do you believe that God is good and that He does good, but when it comes to, well, no one else is good? What do you mean I'm not good? I'm really sweet. We have to be nailed down as Christians. 
in a world, you remember the Christmas sermon series that we are at war in this world? We have to be nailed down. What defines good? Does culture define good? All of these things I'm about to list are things that I think if we look out every day, we're tempted to buy, the, buy what, what this culture, whoever, is selling as a definition of good. Does culture define good? How about this one? Do our best politicians that we think talk in wisdom, do they define good? Do social constructs define good? Opinions that are widely held in society, do this, don't do this, this is right, this is wrong, does that define good? How about this one? Does religion define good? Which religion? Is it a combination of all of them? Let's not run away from this so quickly like we're above this. Is this like a grocery store where we like this, we take this, we like this, we take this, and that's what defines good and it weighs down our life? How about this one, parents? Do you define good? In your home? With your kids? Are you the definition and the one that defines what is good? Christian, before we can ever hope to be good, before we can ever hope to have goodness flowing out of us, we must draw a line in the sand and make a decision on what we believe to be truly good. And then, decision by decision, action by action, moment by moment, we build our lives on that goodness. So if God is the standard of good, according to verse 68, according to all throughout the Bible, look in verse 68 at what our response should be. We should have the same response as the psalmist. He says, you, God, you are good. And you do good. Teach me. Teach me your statutes. Another way of saying that is show me your ways. You're good. You do good. Show me how to be good. You're the only thing in this world that's good. I can't look to our social constructs. I can't look to our politicians. I can't look to city leaders. I can't look to my own life. I can't look to anything to find ultimate good except God and God alone. So teach me your ways. Because I want to be good. I want the Spirit flowing out of me for a goodness that the world does not know and affects everyone around me. Because the goodness of God is flowing out of me. Amen, church? So, for those who Christ has saved, Paul tells us that as Christians, the fruit of the Spirit is this saving work in our lives of goodness, and it should be flowing out of us. And I think if we boil down the goodness of God that works out of us, I think we can boil it down into two aspects. Just two, and I know this is lofty. But two primary facets of God's goodness that flows out of our lives. The first one is His moral goodness. The first facet of the goodness of God 
that flows out of our lives is His moral goodness. Right? So, so we know that the goodness that is within God leads to two things. This is clear all throughout Scripture. First, it is, there's no sin within God. There's no evil within God. There's an abstaining of all evil. But not just that. There's an abhorring of evil. There's a hatred of sin. A hatred of evil. God, God is without fault. This is what we talk about when we're talking about the goodness of God is that God is without fault. He is without one ounce of error. Those of us who grew up in church, that could just fly off of our ears. But you think about that in relation to all created human beings in the world. There is not one ounce of wrong in God. No evil of God. Rather, He abhors evil. He hates evil. There is a holiness within God that has completely separated Him from any wrong from any sin, from any evil. And Christian, Paul tells us that if we have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and we are alive in Christ, then that goodness is to become flowing out of us. That one of the fruits that the rooting of the Holy Spirit produces in our lives is a fleeing from sin holistically. That when sin populates in our lives, when our anger pops off, when our temper gets the best of us, when our impatience and our anxiety and our fear cripple us, we run from it. Why? Because the goodness of God does not know those things. And we, we exist as Christians within the goodness of God. Colossians 3 puts it this way. It says, as Christians, we no longer should look and focus on the earth, but we should look above. We have a new reality that we're focused on. We're no longer focused on the good of this world. We're focused on the goodness of God. So we put off what is earthly. And we put on what is righteous, what is good. We put on the goodness of God. Goodness, God's goodness should be growing within us, resulting in a removal of sin from our lives. Christian, are you aware of that? Have we become numb to that? That we so swim in the pool of grace that we forget that we are to hate sin in our lives? It results in a removal of sin from our lives and an utter hatred of it in our lives. Turn to Matthew 12 with me. I want, I want to show how Jesus kind of pulls this out in a story. Matthew 12, verse 33. Um, it should be on the screen if, if you don't have your Bible with you. 
Matthew 12, 33, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good. I'm going to slow down. I hear pages turning. It's a beautiful sound. I like it. Wonderful. Love it. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers. This is the Pharisees. How can you speak good when you are evil? What a terrifying truth Jesus just relayed. For out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the inner man, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? It's inside out. And there's two options for what's working within us. Goodness or evil. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. Two options. And look at what Jesus calls out. The disconnect between heart and action. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Christian, I want you to exist in the grace of God right now. But the Spirit of God wants us to contemplate this thought too. Are your actions good, but your spiritual being not? Because what he is taking us to think is that there can be a disconnect. We can learn how to speak. We can learn how to act. But that does not mean that goodness is flowing out of us. you remember why everything that God does is good? It's because He is good. That's us too. We are not called to simply do good. We're called to be good. We're called for a goodness to be within us that as you look upon God and His goodness, as you learn about His goodness, and as you learn about yourself, the Holy Spirit works inside of you, not in your actions, not in your words, not in what is outside of you, but in what is inside of you. The Holy Spirit works within your spirit to change you. The way that Romans 12, Paul says this, is he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed don't be evil don't be bad don't be wrong be good be transformed into the goodness of god 
How? By the renewing of your mind. Why would he be concerned about our minds if all he wants to do is teach us behavior? Why would he be concerned about our mind if all he wants us to do is to do this and do that and talk like this and talk like that and respond like this and respond like that? He's not chiefly concerned with that. He's chiefly concerned with our hearts, Christian. He's chiefly concerned with His goodness being implanted within us so that out of us His goodness flows. And then guess what we have just like God? We have a growing goodness within us that exercises itself in goodness. So that within us we are becoming like Him. We are becoming good and we are doing good. So, we live out God's goodness with a goodness within us that we receive from God. And it manifests itself in a fleeing from sin and an abhorring of evil. A hatred for evil. So let me summarize this for you in a way that if you're lost, this will sum up everything. You can jump back on the train with us. So if something is good when it conforms to the standard of God, and in every case of the Bible's teaching, goodness equals godliness. Goodness equals godliness. Okay? And that's not just here. That's not just in the church. That's not just in the Christian home. That's at Sam's when you're buying groceries. That's at your office park when you're working. In every sense of the word, goodness equals godliness. And a moral goodness is confirming to God's standard of morality, but not just moral goodness, but also relational goodness. So we conform to God's goodness. Goodness flows out of us as a fruit of the Spirit in a moral sense, but also in a relational sense. Okay? So we saw that God's moral goodness categorized in two ways. Right? A hatred for sin, or, 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 or a fleeing of sin, and a hatred of sin. Okay? I think we can do the, two, the same two things for relational goodness. We can boil it down to two things. Two primary categories of God's relational goodness that we also exercise. And it is love and mercy. How do we, what is God's relational goodness? How is he good to us? How is he good to those who he engages and interacts with? And how are we to live out the goodness of God to those around us relationally? It is that we live in love and that we live in mercy. Okay, so there's a lot within those. Right? Love being an affectionate care that results in sacrifice. Mercy being a compassionate overlooking of what someone is due. Those can, those can cover a lot. Think about what's, what's covered by love. Right? Love is justice. Love is wisdom. Mercy is patience. Mercy is grace. Mercy is forgiveness, and you can go on and on and on. 
And every single time God ever acts in the history of the world, he acts for one singular purpose. And that is for people to know him. For people to understand who he is and what he is doing. And the relational goodness of God that works outside of us does the same exact thing. So that when we engage people in love and mercy, they know God. Right? It may be just an aspect of the grace of God. Right? It may just be an aspect of the care of God. It may just be an aspect of the testing of God. But He always acts with us so that we would know Him. You know what we call that, Christian? Kindness. Kindness. See, our world tends to have a really narrow view of kindness. When I was thinking about kindness, reading articles on kindness and, and just thinking about when the word kindness is often used in, in our conversations, we have this narrow view of kindness that's like a, a sweetness. Right? And there's a sweetness to kindness, but it's not sweetness. Right? We, we think about a chivalry as kindness. Opening a door for somebody is kindness. Letting them walk through first is kindness. Right? It's just a general overall niceness. That's what kindness is. But the Bible's definition of kindness is way deeper. Think about these two passages. Romans 2 says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I don't know the last time that you were made aware of your sin and had to turn from your sin, but I wasn't walking away saying, oh, that's so wonderful. It hurts. Psalm 141 says that when the righteous man rebukes, it is a kindness. When was the last time that you were rebuked by someone and you walked away in a parade? Kindness is more than that. The Bible's understanding of kindness is so much richer. So I think what would be helpful here is to give us, to, to create two definitions for us. One that's like really succinct and one that kind of works itself out a little bit clear. First, kindness is our acting out of the relational goodness of God to others. Right? Kindness is us working out the relational goodness of God to those around us. Kindness is when we work out and live and engage people around us in love and mercy on behalf of God. Okay, let me say that a different way. Biblical kindness is the outworking of love and mercy to those around us. Whether they deserve it or not, for the purpose of their greatest good, which is knowing God. So biblical kindness is when we live and act in love and mercy to those around us, whether they deserve it or not, and we do it so that they would, for their greatest good, which is ultimately to know God. And so those little acts of kindness throughout the day, when they are purposed for someone to either know the love of God or know the care of God or know the wisdom of God, to know the justice of God, for the purpose of knowing Him, that's kindness. <coughs> and 
And this is the same way that God engages us. Psalm 103.8 says that the Lord is merciful and gracious. You hear those words? Merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You hear mercy and love? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. What an incredible verse, Christian. That God, because of His goodness, does not engage you and deal with you in light of your sin. He does not engage you in light of your worthiness. He engages you out of His goodness. Out of His love. And out of His mercy. So we too, fruit of the Spirit, goodness working out of us, kindness. We too deal with people in love and in mercy for the same purpose so that they would know I think what's helpful here is I want to read, I want to show you three episodes of kindness in the Bible so that you can see kindness in action and what true biblical kindness looks like. Okay, so the first one, and they'll be on the screen, is Hosea 11. Hosea 11, verse 1 through 4. Listen to what it says. When Israel was a child, this is God speaking, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. He bent down. Listen to the kindness of God. Because here's the thing, Christian, you can put yourself right here. God called you out of sin, but what do we constantly do? We constantly go back. And even when we did not know that God was acting on our behalf for us to know Him and love Him, He was healing us. Did you hear that? I, I'm the one who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms and they didn't even know it. did he do what did he do that was so kind he cared for them gently easing the weight that was upon them constantly working for their greatest good he does the same thing in our lives okay next episode titus 3 again it'll be on the screen titus 3 Verse 3 through 8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, 
passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's a pretty good definition of human sinfulness, of who we were outside of Christ. So think about that. That that was you. That was me. Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, malice, envy, hated by others, hating one another. What in a perfectly good God would look upon that and say, I need dealings with those people? But, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior How did his goodness act out? How did his goodness appear? Loving kindness. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. It does not say he worked with us to be saved. He does not say that I worked with them to teach them the right thing to do and the wrong thing to stay away from. He worked on our behalf even when we didn't know He was working on our behalf. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Listen to this verse. Listen to this verse. Verse 8. This saying is trustworthy. We were sinners. He stepped in in kindness out of the overflow of his goodness and saved us. That statement is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. Okay? I'm the one with the Bible in the pulpit today. We're insisting on this church. I insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. God transforms us, saves us, renews us so that we, like Him, may become good and do good works. Why? Look at the rest of it. Because these things are excellent and profitable profitable for people. Think about that, Christian. You want, to make a, you want to make a really big impact in the world today? You want to be profitable to the people around you? You want to be spiritually profitable to your coworkers? Marriages? You want to see profit in your marriage? Parents. You want to see profit come about in your parenting within your kids? It is the kindness of God flowing out of the people of God because of the goodness of God. Nothing. 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 Else is more profitable 
for people. The kindness of God flowing out of the people of God because of the goodness of God. All so that we may know Him. Husbands, you swim in the pool of the goodness of God so you can know Him. And you're kind to your wife so that she may know Him. Parents, you swim in the goodness of God so you may be kind to your kids so that they may know Him. Christian, you swim in the goodness of God so that you may be kind to that neighbor that drives you up a wall so that he or she can know Him. You swim in the goodness of God so that you can be kind to everyone who is around you, not so you can be looked at and praised by culture's standards, but so that you can help lead people to their greatest good, which is knowing God. Last movement. I want you to turn here in your Bibles at Psalm 119. It's our passage. Psalm 119 Probably already there because we haven't really moved. Well, six, but yeah. Psalm 119, 65. That's not true. I had y'all go to Matthew 12. That's why y'all are turning. There we go. Keep me honest. Psalm 119, 65. Look at verse 68. So you are good and you do good. Teach me your ways. But look at what the response is. Look at what comes right after the insolent smear me with lies next verse their heart is unfeeling next verse i was afflicted you see the context of this passage it's suffering it's hurt it's people purposefully using their words as daggers. It's people not purposefully saying things that just have an edge to them and they hurt. It's people who, for whatever reason, and every single one of us can be like this, so, but it's, it's people who, for whatever reason, they're just focused on the next thing and they're just unfeeling. You're sitting there afflicted. You're sitting there hurting and they just... It seems like they're just aloof. But look what the psalmist says. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I will keep your precepts. Another way to say ways. All these words at the end, you can interpret as ways. So God, you are good and do good. Teach me your ways. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart, I'm going to follow your ways of being good. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I'm going to delight in your ways. I was afflicted, but gosh, was it a benefit to me because ultimately, I learned your ways. The psalmist in this moment of affliction 
relational pain looks at the people around him and does not engage them in their worthiness. He does not engage them in light of what they should be engaged by. He engages them in light of the goodness of God. Christian, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. We are called won out by the finished work of Jesus Christ into a freedom from sin so that we may know, experience, and grow into the goodness of God. And it should flow out of us. Praise the Lord when it doesn't. His grace covers that. But what we should be working towards, what the Spirit should be doing in us is changing us, transforming us of one, from one degree of glory to another, knowing God more, knowing His goodness more, and living that out. I want to end with this. I want you to see the key to all of this. Right, you're probably sitting there like I was thinking of this sermon and reading these passages just down of, I'm not good. I'm not kind. Thinking these things. Look at verse, 20, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, right, lower down in verse 71, he says... he. His affliction led to him learning the ways of God's goodness. So before he learned the ways of God's goodness, he went astray. Look at verse 72 though. Look at the testimony of the psalmist. Now, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So what's the key? Say, I want to grow in goodness. I want to grow in kindness. What's the key? The law of your mouth. The ways of your mouth. The understanding of your mouth. The knowledge of your mouth. The standard of your mouth is better to me. Ultimately, Christian, we have to answer the crucial question of what is better to me. God created every single one of us, individuals with a mind, with a brain, to process the world. And you have the freedom to look out and to say that something is better than God's ways. Unfortunately, I wish we didn't have the freedom to do that, but we do. We have the freedom to look out at modern politics and say, I like that way. I like that new guy who's talking. We have the ability to look at a leader, maybe even a church leader, a Christian leader, and to say their ways, that's good. I'm going to follow them no matter what. You can read the latest self-help book. You can read the latest parenting book. You can read the latest, listen to the, the latest news story. Whatever it is, we have the ability to look out into this world and to think that something else is better than God, and it happens like that. 
It happens so fast and we don't even realize it. And we're living our lives based off of something that is external to His Word. So we come to this fruit of the Spirit is kindness and goodness and we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that His Word, His ways, His standard is better? This, I believe, is why the psalmist said, Oh, come, taste, and see that the Lord is good. Not, oh, come, oh, taste, see that He's really smart. That His ways are different. That He's an option. Come, taste, see that the Lord is good. The prophet Jeremiah, when he talks about our intake of the Word, he talks about it as eating the Word. And the psalmist says, oh, come, taste. Taste the Word. Intake the Word. Intake the nature, the character of God, the goodness of God. Oh, taste. See. And when you really taste, and when you really see, oh, oh, is God good? Is He not better? Is His standard not higher? You might be here this morning and you may be a regular. Don't check out on this because I feel like this is where the Holy Spirit could really work on us. You may be a regular and we're so glad that you're here. But with everything in my spirit, everything in our spirit, we want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. You, you might be a Christian here who's grown cold. For whatever reason, whatever circumstance you've gone through, it, it, there may be legitimacy to the struggle and difficulty that you've gone through. It may be relational. It may be whatever. But you've come back and you're just like, you don't want to admit it to anybody, but you know, I'm just cold. Everything in me, I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. You may be here someone who's never really lived out their faith. You're a Christian, and you say it, and you claim it, and you fly that flag. But when it comes to the outworking of the fruit of the Spirit, that root's in you, but that fruit, you never live it. Oh, come, taste, and see. You may be here as somebody who falls According to whatever wind of that day goes, culture, politics, pop psychology, whatever it is. And so you, you kind of ride a roller coaster of whose standards you live by. And I, I want to beg of you come, taste of the nature and character of our God taste of the sweetness of the goodness of Jesus Christ. And you will see that He is 
you might even be here. And by the grace of God, you walked in on today and you are not a Christian. You have never, this transformation, this goodness inside, you've never known that. And you don't need to feel bad about that at all. What we want to say to you today, what God wants to say to you today is, oh, come, taste and see that the Lord is good. And in that, turn from your sin. Believe in the name of Jesus Christ that He has covered the penalty for your sins and follow Him with everything in you. I may, have, I may have spoken directly to you. I may not have spoken directly to you. Wherever you are, Christian, the walk away from today is, oh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Is His goodness working out of you in kindness? Father, as we have dug into Your Word, as we think about Your goodness, God, we want that goodness to exist in us and flow out of us. We want to understand it. We want to know it. God, I pray against Satan. I pray against his evil forces that desperately don't want us to taste and see. That desperately don't want us to know of the goodness of our Savior, who while we were rebels and enemies, took our sin, took our evil to the cross so that we would receive goodness. He doesn't want us to know that. He doesn't want the goodness of You to flow out of us. I pray against Him, God. I pray that now You would initiate repentance in every single one of our hearts. So that we would turn from sin, we'd turn from evil, and we would know and experience and exist in the goodness of who you are. And your moral and relational goodness. God, be glorified, be exalted, Jesus, in our hearts. In this moment, let us see who we are in light of you. Exalt your son, make him beautiful, show us his goodness. Transform us where we need to be transformed, God. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.